to you live from Race City, USA. It's Blind Spotting, the NASCAR podcast from a fresh, personal, and blue collar take. Race reviews, race previews, the latest news, and more. And now, your hosts, Michael Colbert, Andrew Coates, and Travis Sherry. And welcome back to Blind Spotting. We are so happy to be back. It's been two or three weeks, but we are back and we are ready to talk racing. We have uh, made it through the championships. We are in what some call the silly season of NASCAR and other racing series. And we are we have a special episode today. As always, I am joined on this episode 97 by Andrew Coates and Travis Sherrill. Good evening to you guys. It's a Sunday during the Panthers game. Do you think they're going to get it done today? No. I, they're already no. down 7 nothing. Yeah, oh, I didn't even know that. In okay. a, in a, I'm sorry. No, but I was going to say, Mike Evans is probably going to have a huge day. He scored once already. Yeah. That's, that's so I put down. him in the lineup. I'm so, going to I'm yeah. gonna say this based on uh, the guests that we have tonight. We have a better chance of Roger Penske walking through the door right now than we do the Panthers winning. <laughs> that's funny. Who's, wait, who's that? No, <laughs> yeah, it's, right. It's <laughs> no, it's not. But speaking of Penske Motorsports, <laughs> our special guest this evening is none other than Matt Johnson. Matt Johnson is the crew chief for Scott McLaughlin of the IndyCar Series, and of course, under the broader umbrella and scope of Penske Motorsports. So Matt Johnson, welcome to Blindspotting. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. Yes, it's, pretty cool. it's a real treat for us. So tell us a little bit about, let's just start things off with, uh, you're from Sweden. How long have you been in the States? And talk, us, talk to us a little bit about your role on the McLaughlin team at Penske Motorsports, if you will. Just kind of give sure. us some background and walk us into yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I arrived over here in 1994 and uh, came straight from Sweden over to uh, Indianapolis, um, wow. where I worked for uh, Bettenhausen Motorsports for two years. Uh, we ran a Penske-built chassis at that time. Uh, Penske built his cars um, for the series to, to have an edge. He also built his own engines and so on when that was allowed. Um, at Bettenhausen, we used their, uh, old cars, if you will, one year old cars. And there was enough cars then in IndyCar, like it's starting to be now where we run a B class, so to speak, where, yeah, you ran one year old cars and, you know, you kind of got ranked, um, in a different system there. There was only one official champion, if you will, which was the one that out, outright won it. But then there was enough one-year-old cars where you sort of ran a B-class there too. But anyway, uh, after two years, I uh, applied to Penske Racing and uh, got a job at Penske. And I've been there ever since. So uh, it's 28 years wow. now That's that I've impressive. been there. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, it, it's been a home or is a home, should I say. Um, you know, that's taken us through several drivers, obviously, and, and a lot of ups and downs and, and whatnot. And, you know, that's landed me now with Scott who was uh, a rookie in the series in uh, 2021, I want to say. So I've uh, been with him for three years now, three complete years. Mm-hmm. And he's he's a treat to be with. Um, you know, my, my role there uh, as a crew chief in IndyCar is more of a car chief, as you would call it, in uh, in NASCAR then, in, in those terms. So, you know, it's orchestrating pit stops. It's trying to communicate the work. Uh, the crew chief on on in NASCAR, so to speak, is the what we would call the engineer that sorts out 
the spec of the car, the mm-hmm. settings of the car and all the rest of it. And then it's up to us as a crew to, to execute that. And, uh, you know, to do that in the most efficient way, I guess you could say is, is my role in that whole thing, uh, orchestrate that divvy up, um, expectations to, to different people. And mm-hmm. yeah. And that's... So as far as who does what on the pit stop, like, uh, what we're doing. So the, the lead engineer makes the decision about what's going to be done during the pit stop, or do you do that? Well, that, that is the strategist that do. So that's, that's an other role that comes okay. in there. And, and that's, you know, depending on the scoring stand, you have a live sort of conversation about what you should do or shouldn't do. And, mm-hmm. but ultimately you have a strategist that makes the call. You, okay. you typically bat around ideas and, you know, the further in we get here, I mean, with, you know, with, with history and everything else and, and computers and all this and that you, you look at, you know, your strategy isn't just based off of luck anymore. It's, it's history. It's based off of history mm-hmm. and stats and, and all that, right. You sit, sit down, those guys sit down and study that. But when it comes to the live thing, you never know when a, when a flag is a yellow flag is going to come out and so on. Right. right? So for, for them, it's still, you know, our racing is, is quite entertaining because you never know when a yellow is going to come out, but a lot of scenarios right. get battered around because okay. you, I mean, let's face it. You don't know everything right before you start racing either. How long is the tires going to wear and different scenarios. So that, that sure. gets discussed between, I guess you could say three or four guys on the scoring stand. Mm-hmm. I'd be one of those that, you know, pitches my opinion in, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't have the final on that. Uh, it's more so like you're saying, the engineer, uh, the head engineer sets the setup of the car, you know, toes, cambers, uh, wing angles, you know, there, there's so much to this. I mean, you know, dampers to, mm-hmm. it, it's just incredible. Like when you break it down and start getting down and dirty with the car, it's just, you know, it's a lot of points to get right. Uh, that's what the engineer sorts out. And certainly now with new tools, that's, you know, the, the simulators that's getting, I mean, they're getting very, very good. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago, we still had simulators and they started coming out of the market. But at that point, you couldn't really relate to the real car as well. The driver didn't learn so much. It was more so teaching the tool, I guess, to get the simulators to where they are today. Mm-hmm. Today, you can say you, you can go in the simulator and do laps. That equals pretty much as good as going to the racetrack and, and test. Mm-hmm. Uh, without the, using the gas and the tires and i think the same is true for, for nascar i mean it's they're yep, using it, it yeah. just, just as much it is uh, across the board um now mclaughlin is was third in points this year that's I believe great. he was fifth last year so yes. is a champion is a championship the expectation or the or the hope or both next year um I think a little bit of both, but you know, to, to, to be real about that, it's, it's also the team that comes in to, to play there. Right. And, um, you gotta have the right equipment. So, okay. you know, in, um, in IndyCar, there's Honda and Chevy, right. um, everybody runs the same chassis, which is a Delara chassis. Um, there's years where Chevy has an edge. There's years where Honda has an edge and that also varies from track to track potentially how, how the characteristics of the power gets applied and so on. And, you know, if, if we're on par with Honda, with the Chevy, we run Chevys. Of course, we're, we're the flagship team there for Chevy. I would say we should be there knocking on the door. We should definitely have an expectation on winning the championship. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So sort of an, an aside there in terms of Penske Motorsport, you're co-located with your NASCAR folks. I mean, I know you have separate shops, but it's in the physical yep. location. 
they run Fords. You guys run Chevy. How, I know that they're different motors. I know that there's different technology, but like, is that firewalled? Like, how does Ford and Chevy be like, how, how do they not worry about you guys sharing information inadvertently? Yeah, Roger's always done a very professional job. Sure. And you, you have to be very professional in this business, especially like you're bringing up if you're going to carry different brands in, in the same building. It has to be a respect there and, and, and all that, right? Now, the two different sides of the racing is obviously um, very different, mm-hmm. but you are right. I mean, it becomes sensitive at some point, right? Because some things cross over, but some is some technology is also owned by the team. I see. Uh, you know, if you say shock shock absorbers for instance and you know we have another brand porsche in the same building as well in, right. that races an imsa right so that's that's the third manufacturer that comes into play and if anything that's closer related probably to the indy cars although nascar is you know getting there as well but with that like you're saying there there's a manufacturer uh, oem manufacturer brand that wants to own certain technology that they come up with, Mm -hmm. which we have to respect. There's just, otherwise the whole thing collapses. Right. And, and I think we're doing a very professional job with that. Then there's such things, you know, that can get developed together. Like we're all running shell oils across, across the platforms actually, except for, except for the Porsche, which has their own, uh, oil brand there. But does Volkswagen own that the, the oil brand? No, oh, no, okay. they they don't. They just run a different. They just uh, run a different one. Yes, okay. that we used to. Gotcha across the board as well. But yeah, so we're running Shell Oils, and that technology gets shared between sure. between the two platforms, whether it be in gearbox and you know there's greases, there is all that stuff that that translates, um, as well as you know some other things there that that we share. Um, Certainly, be smart about it, right? And sure. Share resources. But yeah, yeah it, it's a sensitive thing for sure. Right. Especially, I just, you know, Ford's not in, in IndyCar, but Chevy is in NASCAR, right? So, you know, you sort of see, you know, and, and one may yeah. argue that Penske's the flagship of Ford in NASCAR, right? So it's interesting to be kind of the flagship of both. I did want to ask you, going back to sort of the beginning, when you moved to Indy, did you already have a position? Like, what was your degree, and how did you decide you wanted to come get into IndyCar or, or to get into motorsports? How did you make the decision to pick up and move, what, 6,000 miles to Indianapolis? Interesting question, that. So, my brother started with, well, my parents, should I say, bought my brother a go-kart when he mm-hmm. was very young, six. I was two at the time, right, so I didn't know much better then. But, you know, as I grew older, uh, I got an interest in what was going on there, you know, and then um, uh, the team I was working for is actually called Team Ichiban, a, a, you know, a Japanese name, but right. it was it was a Swedish team. We ran in Formula 3 and my, my brother oh, okay. drove. Uh, I worked on the thing. We won two Scandinavian championships in that. And then they were going rally racing with, oh. uh, you know, his name is Stieg Blomqvist. I don't know if anybody's heard of him, but he won the world championship there in the late 80s in the Quattros. Um, this was... 494 and uh i pretty much said to my uh team boss their team owner i i really don't have much interest in rally you know laying out in the snow drift and change, yeah, uh, changing right. a glowing turbo <laughs> there right? i was like eh, it's not really my thing there <laughs> so um i said you know is there any other opportunities here and i uh, he said hey listen come with us to the Swedish rally, which is the winter rally, right? Still, still in the uh, world championship there and everything else. We're going to run that. Why don't you come with us, run service team for that? And then you can make 
you know, if you still don't like it, mm -hmm. understand better. But, you know, give it a shake here and let's see what happens. I still didn't like it. Right. <laughs> That's so how that winter, winter rally <laughs> exactly. itself doesn't sound. No, 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 that wasn't, it wasn't great. Um, so anyway, then, um, so the team owner there, he, he knew Stefan Johansson, uh, oh, you yes. know, yeah, exactly. Who, who drove in formula one then for many years, both for Ferrari and McLaren. Uh, he had been a, a great influence in, in the whole thing of getting Stefan to a formula one actually. So he knew him quite well. Stefan was coming home, was around this time actually for Christmas said, uh, why don't we meet up, you know, and, and have lunch and you guys can talk and, oh, you know, wow. see what your interest is. And I know Stefan, you know, is running an Indy car and, uh, this team owner over there for this formula three team and now rally team, we used to sit on Sunday afternoons and watch IndyCar, watch formula one. That was pretty much what we did. He invited mm -hmm. me in cause I lived two hours from where my parents were and, and had this job and, you know, so that that's how our relationship started. And he, he really helped me out there and hooked me up with Stefan and Stefan then called Bettenhausen and said, Hey, I got this kid here. He wants to come over and work, you know, do we got a spot for him or whatever? He can come over. And so that's actually how that started. So I flew over uh, to Indianapolis and uh, two suitcases landed there. Didn't know anybody landed at the airport, stood around. I was the last guy at the, you know, luggage carousel there. Right. The, they were just playing elimination. One guy right. left. Okay. That's the guy we're picking up. That was, uh, then the chief engineer and, uh, the team manager that was standing there and they picked me up with a little red pickup truck, took off up to the shop and, you know, they showed me the shop and then slept in the motel that night and they so, came, so picked you me flew up. in, yep. they didn't know anybody. They didn't, didn't know, know anybody. You. No, didn't know what you, they're. <laughs> That's literally amazing. just you're the last guy standing that must be him <laughs> that I, was exactly that how up. this worked this was wow. exactly how this worked and that's this, why we love these stories you know th this was february of uh 94 and uh yeah you know i'd, I'd have a long day flying anyway as it was right sure. landed there and but you know yeah i mean you know we had one thing in common that was obviously the interest in motorsports so we went straight to the oh. shop showed me that and then next day i started working there and so, no, I didn't really have a position. It was more or less, hey, this is what an IndyCar looks like. Hey, this is our team. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what can you do for us, more or less? And for me, it was the fortunate thing as well. I didn't have anything else going on, right? So racing, IndyCars, I ate, slept, sure, worked on. The more hours I could spend in the shop, the happier I was, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, other people would frown at cleaning brake calipers, potentially. I was... Tickled, tickled to death to clean calipers. I mean, it right. didn't, it didn't matter to me. I was, I was working on an Indy car, right? It was, was, yeah, I was just, you know, I was, was it pretty similar to a formula three car back then in terms of parts and pieces. I mean, it's so much more mechanical than it is now, I, right? I will. Yeah, absolutely. I would say if anything, a formula three car is a bit more fragile, right? No it was kidding. a smaller pieces, uh, lighter car, right? Um, an IndyCar obviously have to have a bit beefier pieces on them just based on running on the ovals where, you know, right. high loads and so on, right? So to me, it was actually bigger, a bit more brutal as far as that went. But, uh, you know, you also saw how fast they were going, right? And, and you mm -hmm. know, the, the incredible heat that was created from turbos and brakes and that you didn't see in a Formula 3 car mm -hmm. and certainly over in Europe. The racing was different. Because it was uh, more road racing, right? With the Formula Three, more road tracks, road courses. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yep. that, so that, well, yeah, that may, I, when you said more ovals in the IndyCar, bigger parts, 
Yeah. yeah. So would that, that would mean yeah more road courses with the Formula Three, like yeah. the Formula Ones? That, correct. Yeah. It was a feeder series mm-hmm. to yeah. Formula One, and and like you said, it was mechanical, the mechanical days, if you will, right, and so on. So, no, um, that was the path uh, over, uh, you know, and hmm. I was, yeah, I was in heaven, you know. Yeah, I, and then two years there at Bettenhausen. Yeah. And then moved to Reading. That's correct. Wow. Reading, Pennsylvania. And you were there from 96 to, when did you say you moved here? In uh, 07 that moved down here? Something yes. Like that? Yes. So we, we you know, it, it kind of got forced to, to a certain degree. It was going to happen regardless because Roger wanted to consolidate. He had just bought this bu- big building that we're in now, which used to be Panasonic, I think, hmm. manufacturing. To, to help that a little bit, to boost that a little bit, our, our flood got, or our shop got flooded up in Reading <laughs> in, uh, towards the end of 2006. We had, I think it was two or three races left of the season when, when it got flooded. And uh, we had to move to a temporary shop there, and that was, phew. That was probably not fun. <laughs> no, that, you know, it could have been better for sure. But anything creates an opportunity, right? And, right. And push it down, push necessity it down is the mother of invention, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. So we ended up down here, uh, you know, which has been nothing but great and you know, like I said, our shop is state of the art. We're, you know, very lucky. Right. I want to back up a minute. Your first year at Penske, your first race was at Homestead, a place that the three of us love dearly. Take us through what you remember about that day. I know you said that you ate, slept, and breathed anything related to an IndyCar, but what was it like getting to go and work that first race? And then, unfortunately, later on that season, you yourself were involved in a, not an automobile accident, but uh, you got beat up a little bit by a race car? Yeah, that happens. That happens, right? Yeah, you know, I did my two years there at Bettenhausen, came to Penske, and tickled to death here again, right? I was in a, on a live high being hired. We did some off-season testing there, and I will say, back in that day, we didn't turn a wheel without Mr. Penske being there. No he came to every test, every race, every like every time we turned a wheel, he was there. So we arrived at the first race there. Like you're saying, I was working for uh, Paul Tracy at the time. It was still, uh, it was the number three car, which mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, ironically back on the three car now. And uh, you know, I remember going down there, and you know, now being with the the newest equipment there was. And to me, honestly, just. Before I answer your question fully there and, and explain there, to me, you know, I've probably never been like a race fan for the race, really? right? For me, it's always been a part of the solutions. The the I've always been super curious about solutions, hmm. uh, both coming up with solutions and, and, and looking at and seeing how other people solve things. Um, that's been my biggest, I think, thing with racing. Uh, as opposed to the actual race and the entertainment of the race. We have we have a lot of race fans, too, that come to work on these cars, of course, but that's never really been the biggest mm. part of me. <laughs> that's been, like, satisfying a, you know, curiosity of how things get solved and, and how things work or, or do that myself. Anyway, back to Homestead down there where we, you know, we're going to race. And I, I remember one thing in particular, we're standing on the grid, you know, we'd gone through qualifying and all this and that, and, you know, just just Roger's presence and being on one of his cars was mm-hmm. was big to me. Um, you know, and we're we're running, if I can say, the sponsor now, the red and white cars there, the Marlboro cars at the time. They were 
you know, just iconic, yeah, right? Oh yeah, with the, with the Chevron sure. on them and everything else, and that—that's what I grew up with watching on TV. So mm-hmm. to be able to work on one of these cars, and and oh, yeah. you know, the presence of of Roger being there and everything, and then we roll out on the grid, and you know, by the rear wing of Tracy's car, and you know, just standing there watching, talking to each other is like Rick Mears, um, hmm. Emerson Fittipaldi, and Nicky Lauda. Jeez. The, the, uh, the, wow. You know, they're like standing there. They've just happened to, you know, gather by the rear wing there and talk. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm a little kid here from Sweden, right? And just like, <laughs> you know, two years in this and I'm landed with the big team and the team I wanted to be with. And I'm standing there and like, you know, staring at this in disbelief more or less of like, wow, right. these are my childhood heroes, into your right? Own dream. Exactly. Into, no, you, you, you woke up and it wasn't a dream; it was reality. It's probably the best way to describe yeah. it. Yes, like these. These was my, you know, my my dad's heroes became sure. my mm-hmm. heroes mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. sitting there watching these guys race, right? And it's like you know, between them, the world championships they had, and yeah. you know, the Indianapolis five hundreds that Rick had accumulated at the time. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty incredible. You know. That's amazing. Because people really... forget, like people mine your age forget, we think of Emerson Fittipaldi as an IndyCar driver. But he'd already yeah. won a Formula One title. That's right. Yeah. You know, before yeah. he ever came to the States and was I don't, yeah, that's true. massively yeah. popular, uh, mm-hmm. obviously in Latin America and Europe, before he ever stepped foot in IndyCar. And I yeah. think in 96, looking through here, you had Fittipaldi, Tracy, and Al Jr. Yes. I mean, that... Oh. <laughs> That's a who's who. That's a who's who. Of, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. You know, what What was that mm-hmm. dynamic like, you know, with three guys who every time they step in the car, like, for example, with Scott, comes in as a rookie. If you win a race or whatever, great. But you know with a rookie, you're probably not challenging for a title. Maybe you are. But, you know, it's a rookie driver three years ago. But these guys are all champions or almost champions yeah what's I mean, that like at the time it was nicknamed a dream team uh-huh. in you know in the series there and i think i was honestly young and dumb enough to where i don't even realize what sure you know mm-hmm. what that meant and like what the question you're just asking like what you know what was the expectations i don't think i even thought about what the expectations <laughs> were to be quite honest mm-hmm. i had worked my butt off to get on the pit crew right honestly if it, you know i wanted to be on the pit crew i had been there with uh, with Bettenhausen, but now, you know, the stakes were upped again, right, to to make it there on the A-team now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did, right? right. I, I did, and I, you know, I made it there, and that was another goal of mine. And it's just, you know, things happened very quickly and very, I don't know what to say. I mean, it just, you know, it went smooth for me, I guess you could say, up through the ranks. And, you know, I have, I have a lot of people to thank, to you know, to get there in the end of the day. Yeah. Really. Well, you, I mean, you had prepped and worked hard and you had done the, you'd paid your dues in Sweden. And then that led to ha- having a, a, a fortuitous meeting with the right person who put you in touch with the right other, per- you know, and the relationships that you built along the way. It wasn't just what I would call luck. I mean, you, you did the right things to get to the point that got you to that point, you know? I guess, I mean, having the answers now, hindsight is probably the case, you know, and, you know, I can probably say that 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 is obviously what's happened, but I don't know that it was actually that I realized that from a start. Mm-hmm. But you know, to no, be, you wouldn't at that but age, you no. know, there was my opportunity to to work there at Bettenhausen. That was my only opportunity. I knew I wanted to to land at Penske because that was my goal with coming mm-hmm. to the states. How that was going to happen, I wasn't sure. That ended up, you know, going very well. And then to get in and and have a 
you know, a, a great relationship with Roger, like personal relationship with Roger, mm-hmm. because he was so involved from a start and, you know, he was wide open to, to things. And, um, I felt anyway, I had a great personal connection with him yeah. quite right away. And, you know, th- there's, there, there's a lot of people there and a lot of things that have to fall in place. Cause there's, there's a lot of people that's put in and done the right things and, and done a lot of hard work. I'm certainly not the only one in this industry. There's a lot of hard work in people. But to, to end up with the right people is such a key factor for me, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? What can you tell us about, because uh, w- what we know about Paul Tracy is kind of what we've seen in the, uh, <laughs> well, the you SRX have... series. Yeah. And, we... and it's almost like he's the he's the villain, the foil. Well, he the... kind of was in the 90s, yeah. too. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm going to get to the Nazareth race here that you actually asked about here a minute ago. Uh, you know, that was going to be the follow-up there to, as the season went on in 96, yeah. to, you know, Paul Tracy was, uh, I mean, he was... He was blazing. He was, you know, balls to the walls, like, all the time. It still mm-hmm. is, right? I mean, yeah. you guys saw him in last year, for instance. Yeah, you know, we, 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 were, the, we yeah. were at the race. He oh, got kicked yeah, out. So, yeah, I was yeah. Say. so there you go, <laughs> yeah. right? It, it's kind of, like, been his mentality the whole time. It's like, you know, if you lead by one lap, well, why not try to win it by two? That, that's, like, been his whole thing. Like, I remember reading a story when I, when I worked for Penske then. I remember reading a story when he was in Formula Fords and he went to Brands Hatch there, you know, their world championships in Formula Ford. And it was always this myth of, like, you can almost go flat in turn one. And it's, it's an off-camber and downhill, right? You come down the straight, it has a little dip in it, and then goes uphill, and then, you know, you have an off-camber right, and that goes down a steep hill. No one was going to do that. Well, you know, he was going to be the one to try it, of course, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like he was yeah. going to prove everybody wrong. And, you know, ends up like barrel rolling the thing or whatever, right? But that's that just, uh, why I'm bringing that up is not because he did that, but that explains the character. You know, in, in Nazareth there, like like you were alluding to there, when, when I got a bit in scuffle with the car there, uh, Tracy was leading the race. He was leading with quite a margin, actually. It comes in for one of our pit stops. It wasn't the last stop, but somewhere in the middle of the race and he, he comes in and I'm, I'm geared up to change the left rear, um, inside rear there. And he comes in and like way too hot, locks it up. Right. And, and scoops me up with the front wing more or less, or hits me with the front wing. I land in the pit in front of us. Right. Oh so I, I, I traveled pretty much two pits and this was, this was prior to helmets. Uh, so, you know, luckily our headsets we were wearing, protected me actually hit right on the headset oh, no so kidding. lucky mm. seriously wow. it, it shattered the the cup on my headset that oh. acted like a helmet so i mean super lucky right broke a couple of ribs and uh, tore my meniscus wow. but that was as bad as it got and you know again so high on life there like i'm i'm like okay that happened doesn't matter we're here <laughs> to win go. a race like get me out of the way let's get this <laughs> keep going. tire change somebody <laughs> change this tire and <laughs> let's keep going right and everybody's you know and then you know they come and check on you it's like well more or less i was more concerned of where are we <laughs> right, like, right right it, right how's yeah, it going we're right yeah. exactly yeah. it's like you know yeah, and you know, it was obviously not something that he went to do either, you know, but it was it was his yeah, his character was always like right. just flat out every single moment. And even moment. as an announcer when you've heard him like he yep. he doesn't mince words, he tells you mm-hmm. exactly and I think yeah. I think when you think about it from a TV perspective, people want somebody that someone has an opinion about. You don't want a milk toast announcer. You want no. people that love the guy or hate the guy. <laughs> yeah. Right? And there's yeah. people, there's no, you either love him or you hate him. I want to yep. ask you about being a left rear changer. 
especially it doesn't happen as much now, but in the eighties and nineties, you're right by that fuel hose. Mm-hmm. And there were, a, I wouldn't say a lot, but a fair number of fires, you know, that would just, something would spark it. It's clear burning methanol. Yeah. Did that terrify you more than getting hit by the car or was it just, you put it out of your mind? Yeah, I would say I put it out of my mind. Okay. I, I, I would say so. Yeah. It was, yeah. And I think you have to a little bit. I think you have to be there for the right reasons, so mm-hmm. to speak. And, you know, it's like the drivers. You, you can't focus on the risks. Sure. You got to focus on the positives. On the, the risks are there. Uh, I think we all sign that. You know, you got to sign that off, obviously, from, from a start. You, you know, that's the case. So you can't come back and blame, you know, anything. But, when you do your job, you, you can't focus on that at all. That, and you're prepared if something does go wrong as best as you can, right? Oh, for sure. And if I mean, not, it advances safety. I mean, in the NASCAR yes. world that most of our folks listen to, you know, I remember, uh, when was it, Travis, that Bill Elliott's crew member was killed? 87, 88, 89, somewhere uh, in there. They didn't have pit road yeah. speed. Yes, correct. And, you know, no. they had a couple of, a fatal and a couple of serious accidents, and they, they didn't want to do the pit road speed limiter that was already in IndyCar. Yeah, and they were trying to find all these different ways to do that, and at the end of the day, the answer is slow the cars down. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it took a tragedy for that to happen, but just like with many of the other ones, like uh, the tragic one, and I'm I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name. Who was the fellow, the poor guy that went into the turns, into the catch fence like ten years ago in the series finale and died? Oh, Dan Weldon. Dan Weldon. When, oh, uh, yeah, that was at Las that was Vegas. Vegas. Uh, yep. You know, Greg Moore was and another Greg one Moore that too. we lost. Yeah, um, and Stefan Wilson was another one. That's correct. Yes, and you know uh, they make they make changes based on those things. You know, they, not to be morbid about it, but that, that you know sometimes it takes those a, are, yeah, like sometimes with it takes Earnhardt. Earnhardt sometimes yeah. it mm-hmm. takes That's things right. to, to make differences. It, it does. It does wake you up, right? And uh, I think there is a place for that. Obviously, we don't want anybody to lose their life or even sure. get you know harmed so to speak but you know in racing you you have to have you have to have that respect for the sport i think and there has to you know when you crash and and excuse me for saying this but you know when you crash it needs to hurt somehow it needs to leave a mark because otherwise you're playing video games that's right Mm -hmm. right and if there's no repercussions i don't want to be the guy in pit lane anymore because i i don't wear armor right there has to be a certain respect for both the people mm. around you. It has to be yeah. a respect between the drivers, you know, that they're still carrying the speed. And I understand that it's, you know, especially when it comes to ovals and this and that, where you sit at a very, well, I shouldn't say very constant speed, but more constant speed anyway than what you do on a road and street circuit and so on, right? And I think you lose track a little bit of how fast you're going because your relative speed is only the guy next to you. That's right. Mm-hmm. right. You don't realize you're going 240 in the, on the straightaway. No, the, the only thing that matters to you is the guy that goes next to you, maybe three and out, three miles an hour different, right? That That's your relative speed at that time until something goes wrong. And, you know, you have to, at least in my mind, you, you have to have that respect between the guys. And I think if it, you know, and this is going to sound wrong, I get that, but if the cars get too safe and it doesn't, hurt it doesn't if there's no penalty know. yeah exactly then uh, i think we're going to lose the respect for what we're doing as well hmm. right and, and i don't think that's, that's very good. interesting that's, it is you yeah, know it's fascinating and with that said i don't want to want no i think it makes a lot of hurt, sense no, like we're next yeah you gotta find a balance a lot of these yeah. younger kids have just been used to the safety there was no yes. risk right. i want to ask one thing and, and we can you know talk about this as little or as much as you want but talking about fatalities laguna seca 
Yes. Uh, with um, Gonzalo Rodriguez. And I had I hate to say I'd forgotten about this, but it's 20-something years ago. It is. W- w- what is that like for a race team? You know, I always think about Senna at Monza. Or, yeah. You, you know, when you've got, not that he was Senna, but my point is that your family, you're going to get like, yeah. you got to go on with the race. Like, h- how does that happen? What is that like? It is a feeling I don't want anybody to to have you know you it's just deflating sure honestly it's truly deflating you know you you send a, a guy out a young guy um you know out on his practice run and, second race i think uh it was yeah he yeah. had done a, a prior one we, we were searching for drivers uh, that year so we, we had a couple uh you know drivers who were trying out at different you know uh different events and he was our hot shoe there that we were hoping for on road and street circuits that we were, we're trying, right? Uh, we had another guy on ovals. Uh, Gonzalo did not run any ovals for us that year. Was but that Baron yeah, that ran the ovals? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were, we were feeling out a little bit, right? Because we were at a point where we needed to hire some guys. We were, I mean, we were, we were struggling for results and everything else. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know, the feeling there that, that happens when, when something like that goes wrong. You, you saw it, we saw it on the screen mm. and we didn't come back around, but it wasn't painfully obvious, like right off the bat, right? What, a, you know, how he fared with it. Uh, it became obvious, obviously. And then it was uh, announced to us, to us first. And um, I had to deliver the message to, you know, my group and so on. Sure. And, you know, later on, uh, the organization decided to not, uh, race that weekend mm-hmm. so we we packed up and went home and honestly yeah it's a terrible 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 feeling it, it really is i mean because you you know one thing again like i said i've been involved in a lot of good people and one thing you know i would have questions about still today if i didn't get to go see the car all i wanted to know did something go wrong with the car sure mm-hmm. in a legal world i shouldn't have been allowed to get to the car but the guys that was sort of you know, it was in Park Famille, if you will. It was in a in a building off by itself. And, you know, the coroner's office was going to come and look at the car and all this and that. But I wasn't allowed to to reach in the footbox and, you know, feel the pedals. So everything was functioning down there. I was mm-hmm. allowed to turn the steering wheel just to check off these things. And I, I really appreciate that because there was a lot of people around there. And when I asked, I asked for those reasons of being able to put my own mind at ease well you'd hate to carry for the rest of your life that you had made a mistake that had cost somebody if i wouldn't have been able to to do that right Right. if they wouldn't have allowed me to do that which legally they shouldn't have but you know that really put my mind at ease that everything was uh as it should have yeah i I didn't mean to bring the mood of the whole thing down no no hey those are those things hey listen uh, it's real right and it's 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 something that happened it's uh it's a part of what molded at least me to to where i am and you know it wasn't like I didn't take it serious prior, but you know, now do I view a footbox differently mm-hmm. when someone puts it together? And you know, as a as a crew chief, you, I mean, there's not a single time I don't you know that there's throttle, brake, and steering. That that's what you care the most about, right? right. After after that comes the details about how fast is the car going to go. Mm-hmm. But those are the safety mm-hmm. aspects. You know, you you need to give the driver throttle, brake, and steering. Then. Otherwise, you know, he's a passenger. Exactly. And yeah. at that point, I think if you've given him that, right, you've given at least mm-hmm. what you can, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, going back to Paul Tracy, just to hear you describe him, it reminds me of the, um, not the character, but Ken Miles. 
in the Ford versus Ferrari, the guy that it was like a test driver and then drove at Le Mans for uh, Ford and uh, uh, Shelby. Yes. Sounds like the same kind of personality. I, I don't know if you ever knew or knew of somebody that knew Ken Miles, but it sounds like just kind of going for it. Well, you, you say that can't be done. I'm going to do it. That sort of thing. And just yes. No filter. Tell you exactly what you think. Sounds I saw like the, I saw the movie, and there's obviously yeah similar character there. Yeah. And uh, again, I, I want to say, I mean, uh, so I didn't sound in any other way. Tracy is a fantastic person. Like he still comes around to the racist, mm-hmm. you know, today and comes up to me and is yeah. like, you know, like, hey, how's it going? Right. right. So it, it's not like you know, I don't mean his, <laughs> you know, his, uh, yeah, his person, his he's person. A competitor. He is a competitor, yeah. and and he's. Somebody that I really enjoyed watching when I went back to, you know, if I go back to Sweden, sit on my sofa there and watch these races before I arrived here, that was one person I really kept my mm-hmm. eye on anyway, because oh. you always knew that watching, watching the race, something is going <laughs> to happen. Around Paul Tracy. When yeah. is it going to happen, right? <laughs> like th- this guy is pulling yeah. out at Elkhart Lake, he's leading by 20 seconds. Oh, he just set fastest lap. Like oh my goodness, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, uh, yeah very colorful. Uh, still is uh, even as a person out of the car, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I will say as well. I mean, super fast guy. I mean, super fast. It's just uh, he always had to find the limit. Yeah. Well, what do you think defines like some people? Is it is it they have sort of that sixth sense about they become sort of one with the vehicle and they can feel things other guys don't feel like. What is it, you know, some guys just hop into anything and they're fast. What is it about those kind of guys? Like in your, because you, you work on it from the nuts and bolts perspective, right? You can yeah. give the same car to three different guys and one of them is going to go three tenths faster than the others. Like what is it about that guy in your in your experience? It can be different things. I can say, for instance, like in Montoya, for instance, Juan Pablo, right? Oh, he, yeah. he raced in NASCAR. He raced in, you know, you, you've seen him in Christmas time doing these you know, I forget what they're called now, world challenges or whatever, when they all get in the same car, a rally car over in France or whatever, right. and they, you know, they run these parallel courses or whatever. He's blistering fast in those things. Montoya is a well-rounded guy, right? He, he can drive anything and be fast. Right. So there there you have that type of person. I feel Scott, actually, McLaughlin, is, is very similar to that. He I think from supercars? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, he, he drove stock cars. Right. Right. Big, heavy, heavy jumping no curbs. Yeah. Never on an oval prior to stepping into one of these things and into an open wheel car with a lot of downforce and everything else and, you know, respectfully fast right away. Um, then you have, you know, like people I've worked with, like Will Power, for instance. When it comes to qualifying, I mean, the guy is an animal. Like, I can say this, like that that's where he comes in with what you brought up with the sixth sense. He can focus like nobody, like hmm. like somebody I've never seen. Like for that lap, you stick him on, you know, in IndyCar, we run red tires, black tires. Right. And, you know, the red ones are typically the faster, softer compounds. So that's what you should qualify on. I have seen numerous times where Will has gone out towards the end um, of qualifying and just said, give me a new set of black tires, which should be slower and typically right. are by four tenths or so and goes out and just bang sets the lap down and that's when you know he's he's absolutely nothing else in the world exists to him other than these breaking points turning mm. points 
and he's he, just dialed in. He dances the car mm. around, and that's mm. something that is mm. pretty magical to see. But his shortcoming of that is, uh, in a dozen, you know, he's he's won championships and five hundreds and so on as well, right? But his he can't keep that laser sharp focus for two and hours. And hours. That's right. Right. That that can't happen. So very very frequently. Does something happen? Push the wrong button on the steering wheel or, you know, something <laughs> mm. like that, mm-hmm. right? That, that's that been sort of what's come in his way to win more championships than what he has. Because he's been lined up to win a lot of yes. them. And has just failed at that very last moment. And I feel that's exactly that. His, his personality is he can absolutely laser focus for a very short period of time. But he has a hard time to spread that out over a two, two and a half hour stretch and, and do that in a hmm. way where he doesn't lose focus at some point. Almost like a Ryan Newman in the stock car yep. side where, I mean, you need one lap. That's the guy to put in the car. But he, he might end up being a lap down after 500 miles. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And in terms of McLaughlin, you know, now going into, you know, this will be his fourth season, right? Fourth yes. Fourth season? That's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that his rookie year, you know, qualified well, ran well out of the gate. And then, like, adjusting to the series, got to work on racecraft, right? Like, just getting used to what the cars, how the tires fall off, how the setup changes, you know. What have you seen an improvement with him over the last couple of years? Because, yeah, you know, that's what I think a lot of people don't realize about professional motorsports is even though you have a guy who can go fast in anything, you have to learn that nuance. You have to learn that that those little things and that's what separates the Joseph Newgardens and the you know those guys that are out there running what what's Newgarden been in the top 2 in the championship 5 of the last 6 years or something yeah he's been pretty he's been incredible. pretty amazing right yeah. so what what have you seen in Scott developing over the last few years from your perspective there's a couple of things you know Scott came here as a champion in mm-hmm. supercars i mean he won 3 championships over there with his Ford Mustang and just you know killed it right then that's why he needed a new challenge uh, one of the things that's that affects us a lot is the relationship with the engineer. Mm. And the first year Scott ran here, he had a different engineer than what he currently has. And he was with Jonathan Duguid, who was our chief engineer on the car the first year he ran. And, you know, Jonathan is super smart, super good guy, right? He's actually now the GM for the Porsche program we run. Oh. Very sorted uh, and so on. But I don't think the personality with Scott Mixed. jived as well as mm. what it does now with Ben Britzman. Okay. Ben and Scott, they go out play golf together, right? They have fun together. Scott is Scott is is one he is rare in the way that I will say, you know, for as young as he is and a race car driver, he is one that can step away and say, Man, look at me how fortunate I am. Mm. That's that's you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people feel they've earned it, right? He he's you know, he, he has earned it, but um, you know, he he steps away from this and says, you know, wow, I am, you know, so lucky to be doing this for yeah. this team. All these guys, look who's around me. I'm, you know, still in my 20s. And he realizes where he's at, so to speak. And he appreciates where he's at. And I think that's a lot what gives him his personality and so on. And Ben feeds into that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Ben is all about, well, not all about. I mean, they obviously work hard, but to have fun with where you're at currently in life. And realize where you are in life that right. it's not just business it's also down hey we got to have some fun with this because you know 20 years from now we're not going to be doing this yeah, it'll and be you, over That's and you right. got to look back and say man those yeah. were great years right and not like man i wish i would have 
been there and appreciated it a little bit more than what I did. I worked so hard. We got the results, but man, I never appreciated it. I don't think Scott's going to be the guy looking back at that That's that good. way. I think he's going to say, yeah, had fun all the way, <laughs> you know, yeah. and Ben Bretzman, he is right there with him. Uh, very real, very, yeah, the relationship there is, has, has changed a lot for Scott and how he's matured the last two years that feeds into the results he's had the last two years. And, uh, you know, when you have a guy, you believe as well, doing the changes on the car, sometimes you can make the wrong adjustment, but as long as the guy tells you it's the right one, you're going to go faster. That's right. Right. So there's some of that apart from the learning curve, like you're saying, you got to learn the tires. There's no doubt that in a series, you got to learn for, for us, a lot of it is, and I know NASCAR as well, it comes down to, to saving fuel at times. Yes. Some guys are way better at keeping the same or a better pace, meanwhile, saving fuel. So some guys, I guess you can say, can save more fuel and keep mm-hmm. the pace up better than others. And there's a, there's a technology there or, or you know, a, a, what should I say, a, a style of driving there. And uh, Scott learned a lot there last year. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's quite up to, um, Will is actually very good at it. He's not quite as good as Will yet, but he's working on it, and he's obviously being able to study what Will does by saving fuel. So I think, you know, start next season, he knows what to focus on. And that that's one of the things this year that we saw that we needed to focus on because uh, Long Beach was one of those things here in 2023 that that was a race where we struggled a lot with that particular thing, and we lost right. a bunch of points there. So all those things put together, I think, is going to make him better and, again, to be a contender uh, like Michael said here for, for next right. year. I really, I, I really believe that. Gosh, I've got so many questions. Uh, I want to start by, I guess, talking about your, uh, we've talked about him quite a bit, but Roger Penske, he's in his middle eighties. And yet I think he can out outwork any of the three of us that are on, you know, that host this podcast on a weekly basis. You can include me in that. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to, but... Um, I think there's like three or four Roger Penske's. I really do, because I just Like he's see cloned himself. Where, yeah, how like, can he be so many places at one time? And the fact, like, every time you hear him come over the radio, you know it's something important, you better listen, and he's going to give you good advice. Can you talk about what you've learned from him, and then from a broad... A broader perspective, can you talk about what it meant to the IndyCar series when he purchased it along with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and maybe some of the changes that have been made for the better? Yeah, the purchase of the Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway, I think to start with that, right, in the IndyCar series that came along with it, the best way I can probably describe it, and, and certainly this time of year, I'd probably say, you know, if if someone went if someone uh, wanted to buy Christmas, I certainly hope it would be Santa Claus, right? <laughs> and I oh. think that's about oh. what happened there. I think nobody better, nobody can care more about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway than than Roger. It had been clear to me since since I started working here, and you know the stories he's he's told uh, prior to him owning it, even when he went there with his dad. I think it was. If I remember right, it was like 54 or something like that. He went there with his dad and sat in the grandstands up in, in turn four. And that's, you know, what he claims is when he got bit by the racing bug, so to speak. And, and you know, since then, he's been in love with that place. He, he raced, obviously, a lot himself. Right. So he knows the industry in and out. He, he was quite a successful driver. 
obviously. And, and, um, another story he tells is, you know, he, he had to make a decision at one point, whether he was going to continue with his own career in racing, um, him and Mario Andretti actually was invited to this test in Indianapolis for a seat in an IndyCar. At the same time, Roger had applied for a loan for a Chevrolet dealership in Philadelphia. Wow. The bank pretty much told Roger that, hey, listen, you know, we're, we're going to sign on here for the loan for, you know, for the dealership if you don't drive the race cars. We can't sign this loan if you drive race cars. So you're, you're having Too to make your... Too much of a liability. Exactly. Guess, yeah. You have to make your decision here. Yeah. Either you continue with your career hmm. so at that point roger gave up that seat more or less and wow. didn't even test to mario that's crazy yeah so you know pretty much what he said well i guess it worked out the best for both of us yeah right? so, yeah <laughs> i guess you could I've say that, that right? story yeah that's a great story yeah he's uh yeah so you know again he, he drove a lot of race cars in his day and um yeah, I mean, what a what a fantastic man. I mean, I you know what he means to me is a bit hard to put in words, actually, because you know he, he's been like, I don't know what to say, age wise, a uh, you know like an older dad or you know almost like a grandfather character uh, that I have felt anyway. You know, to be to be around him and to to be able to speak with him, you got you got to value those times. Mm. I think mm. the same thing goes with Tim or you know Cindric then and and. Um, you know, some of these guys, right, that you have to value the time and the suggestions and, the, you know, what you can learn from them. And, and Roger, I can tell you right now, I mean, there there's not a single person that he's going to treat uh, bad, so to speak, or, mm-hmm. or now the other. He, he treats anybody with respect, equal respect. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're given an opportunity there and either you take it or you don't. Um, I mean, it, it's just. Yeah, he's been a he's been a mentor. Uh, I've I've learned a lot from him, how to manage people and 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 so on. Just you know, there was one time in Nasser, we were standing on the pit box, and I forget it was early two thousands. Anyway, there was these um, uh, mini sprints running around there as well, and there was one in our pit box. We were waiting to roll out. Obviously, I'm early enough in my career, right? I'm just focused on our car, and I'm trying to like get to our pit box, mm-hmm. and it's like you know what, what's this thing doing here? And, Roger just uh, turns to me and calmly says, you know, that that kid in that car there, he might be your driver one day. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm, that's perspective. Good yeah. perspective yeah. there, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I didn't, you know, th- like th- there's things like throughout uh, the times of, of being around him and everything else. And he, he he's in a fortunate position and he's, you know, there's so many people that's in that same position that don't give opportunity to other people. I think Roger gives hmm. opportunity to, to people around him. I, yeah. I tell you, just, just one other quick story there. So in, in 2020, I was fortunate enough to go to uh, Goodwood in England to the mm. Festival of Speed there. And uh, they were celebrating Roger uh, that year. And uh, we brought 11 cars over that wow. we had worked on them prepping and so on. And, and Roger was going to do the hill race himself, right? Not necessarily for the racing side of it, but... Uh, just to, to do it. To do it, exactly. And he was uh, going to drive the... Uh, Porsche 908 RS Spider, the yellow one that won uh, Sebring 12 hours uh, in 2007 over the Audis and this and that, whatever. So we had prepped that mm-hmm. one for him. And, hmm. you know, he's there and he's in this thing. And, you know, I strap him in the car and he sits there in the heat before us. They were just lining up and there's motorcycles, all sorts of motorcycles sitting there, right? And he spots a Norton. He calls me over. Come here, Matt, come here, come here. He points at one of them. It was like, <laughs> you know, whatever... 1930-some Norton over there. He's like, hey, you see that? You see that bike over there? And it's smoking. This guy's revving. And he's like, I had one of those. 
broke my leg on one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it's like, man, man, I, I love this guy. You yeah. know, I absolutely love this guy. He's, he's you know, yeah. didn't have to go there, didn't you know? But here he is, like he's sitting in this thing, and he's, yeah, yeah, he, he's he's a racer, like you well, know. Th- I would a be bis- a nervous Rick. He was not. He was like, oh, but he's getting ready to race. I would that would have been you know the last thing on my mind, but maybe. It helped him to kind of loosen up a little bit, or he saw that maybe that you were nervous, or people were, hey, let, yeah, let me let me you know, lighten this mood up a little bit. I, I think between the two of us, I think you know, I just appreciate his stories, and I think I think he knows that, right? And and to just be there with him, honestly, mm-hmm. in England, and you know, uh, as late as this was, you know, there was there was prior when um, when Hornish had won the Indianapolis Five Hundred, we got invited to the White House, and um, we flew up. To Washington, or at the time, flew down from Reading to Washington to go see the president. We land there. Roger land lands. We, we all climb on a bus. Roger's in the back of the bus with us, right? He's not, you know, he's, he's hanging out. We leave there. One of the guys had managed to go into the restroom at the, you at know, the White House. At, at, the, at the terminal. No, oh, at the okay. terminal. Okay. So we haven't arrived okay. there okay. yet, right? So we're getting on the bus to, to drive over there. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like, hey, we're missing so-and-so. You know, Roger's only, con- you know, man, oh, man, I better never turn my back on this group, right? Yeah. You're going to just pick up and leave me. Yeah. Uh, then he continued to talk a little bit. And he's like, yeah, you know, when I used to race boats. So he used to race boats as well. <laughs> so he, he goes into this story of when he used to race boats and offshore boats then. He says, yeah, I remember this one time, you know, we, we won this race. He said, I, I hired a helicopter to fly above. So at the time, you used to have a co-pilot with you in the in the boat, right, uh-huh. that read the map then for you, which way to go and so on. He said, I figured I'd save myself about 200 pounds in the boat to lighten <laughs> it up and go much faster. So I'd hired this helicopter to fly the route oh, up above. Oh, my God. So I followed okay. the helicopter. <laughs> Wow. And, and won the race. Like, you know, talk That's about amazing. innovative. Right? That at, innovative. That, oh, at, yeah. that, at that time, like he had. And you only get one or two shots of doing that. That's because right. Then they well, prohibited. You can't have everybody hire a helicopter. But it just like, right. you know, it just explains and, you know, who he is and, you know, sitting there sharing this with huh. the guys in, in the back of the bus. Yeah. Right. And we're just yeah. and he's one of the guys, you know, so there, there's definitely the businessmen, obviously. And I've I've been to some you know, meetings that has been less fun, obviously, you mm-hmm. know, like when, you know, things have gone wrong and he lets you know that too. And the, But that's the honesty of it all. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. You know, you don't get the, the grumpy looks back, right? It, it's yeah. right away, you know where he's at. Right. right? Hey, let's go to the bus. Let's talk. So and, I, I want to ask, um, in 2024, Kyle Larson's going to attempt the Indy 500. We've had Jimmy Johnson do it. Kurt Busch has done it. Tony Stewart's done it. Robbie Gordon's done it, just to name a few. Do, do NASCAR guys coming down to run the greatest spectacle in racing, does that kind of tip the scales in the IndyCar garage, or or is it kind of just like, eh, you know, go? why are they coming down to play in our playground? No, I love it. I love it, actually. It, it's great. It's it's great for the sport. It's great for for, you know, the sports and the spectators, right? They get another thing to watch, and... and you know, that's what this is about, right? And we're all one community, um, you know, for as much as, you know, working in it, obviously, I know very, you know, I knew a lot more about NASCAR and, and, and Formula One and all this and that prior to 
getting so in depth in IndyCar. You know, mm-hmm. one, once we get into the season in our own sort of worlds, uh, unfortunately, you get blinded to a lot of other, uh, huh. you know, echelons in motorsport. There, there's, you know, also having a family, right, and, and all this and that. But divide, I've, yeah, I have a hard time dividing up my time other than I've become very streamlined on IndyCar alone. But with that said, I mean, we're, you know, we are one family, right? We're, you know, motorsports. Mm-hmm. When these cup guys come to race at the Indianapolis 500, it, it, I think it's fantastic. And that really shows the fans that we are one and the same. And, and you know, to me, it speaks volumes of the Indianapolis 500, sure. even as a, you know, as a historic race that mm-hmm. these guys wants to come and, you know, attempt fate and try to win that thing. You know, we saw Alonso come over from Formula One That's a couple right. of years ago and trying to do it. I think I think it's exciting. I think it's very exciting. I think it, I think Kyle Larson is exactly the guy that NASCAR should hope for to come there. I mean, what a talented guy! Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what yeah. a talented guy! And I'm, you know, I'm 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 excited to see him run there. I was there when he did his rookie test. Um, oh really? Oh, you yeah. were? Yeah, I was there with. Uh, uh, you know, we've been doing some testing with uh, some hybrid units and and things in these cars that you know for next year. The electrical. Yes. Hybrids. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we were there testing that when, when he did his rookie orientation. And, uh, you know, again, he, he's a racer, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's, mm-hmm. yeah, what a talent. I you mean, know. no offense to either the driver or the car, but he's probably the first guy that, I mean, obviously, probably the first guy since maybe Tony Stewart that probably has a legitimate shot of running top five all day. You know, I mean, no, no offense to Kurt Busch. I mean, he probably outperformed expectations. And he did great. Thing, right? But... But I think it's it's no longer the days of Nigel Mansell coming over as an F1 champ and winning half the season and just blowing the field away. These guys with the sims, with the the, the technology, like you can't just walk into another series and just blow the doors off everybody. No, you can't. Um, it, it gets harder and harder, too. And it, it goes back to what you said before as well with learning, mm. you know, how does your tires hold on over a stint, right? How long did they last? How, how do I have to take care of this? And I think that's going to be one of Kyle Larson's biggest favors, actually, from, from racing in the Cup Series, where the tires, you know, you, you have to take care of your equipment. Two laps into you Darlington know. and they're shot. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I feel that's what was the challenge there for, for uh, Hornish when he, when he came yeah. over. I, I don't think there was any, you know, doubt that he's a fast, fast driver but he he couldn't really grasp there from the start that the tires were going to wear out like that our tires you know would hang hang with you you could go out there lap one and they would stay with you until maybe you know last five laps you have to hang on to it a little bit but in cup it's complete opposite right you get you get three laps or four laps out of them and then you got to hang on yeah so without you, any downforce exactly. compared to an indy car you, you can't go out there and <laughs> abuse them and I, I think honestly kyle must have a fantastic feeling for all that and i think you know, I think the rest of the guys know what they got to watch out for next year when he shows up there. Because I think, yeah. uh, like you're saying, I think he's a legit threat. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think he can go there and I think he can win it, you know. Do we want to do one more around the horn? That's fine. Sure. Yep. Yeah. One of the one I- I'll start. Uh, IndyCar season is 17 races. Yeah. Formula One used to be about that, and they keep adding races. They keep adding races. NASCAR has been... Actually, it's less than it was 25 years ago. It used to be 40. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit less. 17, the right number for IndyCar? Is that too many? Too uh, Not enough? 
I mean, just in terms of the racing environment, I mean, you guys have the championship in September, and then you've got NASCAR, Formula One, yeah. all these other ones running all the way through November, December. What are your thoughts on, on the, the length of the schedule? Well, since you leave it open, for my opinion, I think it's too few races. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we do, uh, you know, a rule book says, you know, X amount of testing in there and so on, but there's, there's you know, honestly, we, I think we're gone 17 races or 17 tests as well this this year and they're not one day tests either sure. right so you're on the road you're you know you're running but you're not entertaining anybody right if you ask me i think you know increase the the schedule you know if you if you can get get them on the calendar i, I get it takes you know sponsorship to put on an event and so on as well but you know if we can sanction more races i, I think that'd be the way to go i mean i'd rather go racing any day over over testing, testing. and a follow-up to that like the torontos or the Places where they'd have a race for two days in a row. You like mm-hmm. that idea because it doubles you up and gives you two races? Or is it kind of like running this? Like you brought the same car. You don't have a chance to go back and fix things. There's only so much you can do between the two events. Do, do you like running back-to-back races in back-to-back days? I don't, personally. Okay. I, I personally don't. I'm too much of a perfectionist and, and I guess old school for that. I know there's a lot of entertainment value for, for the visitor there, right? Sure. When, when they come. And I, I know we got to cater to that because without them we wouldn't have this fantastic job we're having, you know, it's, it's all about the fan and, you know, I think they should have their vote on it too. Right. And if, if that means two races, that's what we need to do. Personally, that is not what I would like to do. I, I, I personally want to reset, um, between a race. Right. But there, there's also different places. Iowa, you can do that. Sure. Um, Iowa, I feel you can do that. Right. Unless you, unless you crash and then you got the night to, to reset, whether you need to do to your spare car or whatever. But when it comes to road and street circuit, it's it tough. Take, it takes a lot out of these things. And there's a lot of things I want to look over that I don't get a chance to look over, um, to reset properly. Uh, when it comes to Iowa, I think you can do it for sure. Yeah. And, sorry. I'm going to last follow up. No, go ahead. Formula one tried to get into that with the sprint race idea. Yeah. What do you think about that for street and, and road courses? I, I'm, I'm on the fence. I don't know if I like it or not. I kind of like not. But, but but would that be a way to have your cake and eat it too? To, to run a 25-lap race for qualifying type purposes? Or is that just, you know, window dressing? And why wouldn't we? why would we do that? You know, again, it comes down to the entertainment factor. And you can tell the last couple of years how Formula One has had to dip into that. And, and that's a whole other discussion, I think. You know, and I think that was a necessity for Formula One to get into the entertainment Mm -hmm. thing, right? Because that that's not a driver championship, if you ask me. That that is a true constructors championship. Because if you're in the wrong car, it doesn't matter your talent. You're not going to have anything to do with it. Uh, You know, to me, it's Red Bull winning the championship this year, not necessarily Max Verstappen. He has one guy to beat. That's his teammate, and he beats him every week. Yeah, which, which that that. Obviously, I got a hats off there, right? I mean, yeah. there's got to be but you something. You can put Alonzo there, or but... Hamilton or any of those guys in that car that Max drives, mm-hmm. and they'll whip the field with it. Yes, I, I, I of that, I am of that opinion. And that's no disrespect to Max. No, 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 that's no, no. Just, and not at all. Lewis won seven titles that way. I mean, let's yes. be honest, right? Yes. So, I mean, and they create heroes, and and that you know they did that with Schumacher. They created yes. the hero with with Hamilton, right? And I think they're coming up on the a change of an era where they, you know, with the Netflix series and everything else, where they're actually starting to focus more on the entertainment hmm. value of it. And that they're off the, you know, the, the qualifying races, if you want to say the sprint races, uh, if that's a necessity for us to, to get into, to, 
you know, to up their entertainment value. Now, I think our product as 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 races are way above Formula One. We we have always a lot of different winners. Um, you don't know who's going to win like any mm-hmm. day, right? It, and in Nashville two years ago, the winner came from like that's right twentieth on six laps to go because sure. they couldn't keep it out of the barriers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless you go to Iowa, of course. Well, then you pretty much know that Joseph Newgarden is going to win. Gonna win. One, but yeah, that's you right. know, other than that, in our series is pretty wide open. I feel, and it's it's very entertaining, much like NASCAR is. And uh, for sure, you know, I, I certainly hope that you know NASCAR stays that way and and uh, you know keep it. You right. know, as it should be down, down to earth and, and, you know, let's keep it a driver championship and not, not a constructors is, yeah. uh, is to me more entertaining anyway. 100%. Well, speaking of NASCAR and entertainment, what, uh, and my last question will have three parts by the way. So okay, I'm, good. I'm so you'll be with me. <laughs> um, so, and it just, just popped in my head as we were talking, what did you think of the, uh, the finish to the 500 this year? Were you a fan of the way that they ran it kind of like a NASCAR finish with the, uh, the ch- the caution and then one more quick lap around or because we had we were sitting in the stands we were sitting as you came off of turn four right at and, the entrance uh, to pit road right at the entrance to pit oh, road that's where gotcha. we we're sitting and we yeah. had some people sitting behind us and they said we don't need to do this stupid NASCAR BS and have this green white check so there's people of different opinions what can you share your thoughts with us if you can't I don't want to get you any trouble so you can plead the fifth here if you'd like to. To be fair. Well, I want to answer the question. Okay. I mean, I, you know, I, I need to answer the question. I was pretty confused myself. And, you know, I can't knock it right because it was our team that won. Joseph won it. Um, if one of our car wins, we all within Penske Racing wins. Um, so I, I can't knock it, you know, too much there. Was that something different? And I don't think it had anything to do with being NASCAR at all because NASCAR does a green-white checkered that's a little bit different than what happened at the Indianapolis 500 even. You know, we went out of the pit, went green, went checkered. There was not mm-hmm. even a completion <laughs> right. of a lap right. there. Um, you know, Which wasn't in the rule book, right? Like that's not, it's not wrong, but it's not explicit that that's allowed. You know, I, I think that comes down to race control. And, and right. you know, any pretty much any rule in the rule book says that it's to the discretion of race control well, look, look at formula one two years ago with max yes. and lewis yes i mean they wanted a yeah. good show yeah. i mean let's be yeah. honest that's and it cost lewis number eight and it gave max yeah. number one it yeah. is what it is but it's interesting to hear your opinion it's it's a similar situation i feel i mean you know historically that had never been done before i think at races after that we haven't seen it either mm-hmm. right do i like that we finished indy five indy 500 under a yellow no i don't i don't with the you know Compared to the green-white checkered, that's, uh, you know, that, that's that's a matter of an opinion there, really, because, you know, you if you know you're racing green-white checkered racing, you've got to calculate your fuel that's more right. conservatively, right? Because mm-hmm. now, now you're no longer doing a 500-mile distance. You could potentially do, you know, 500 plus six, say, if, if you will. And th- that's not what happened here either. No, because we knew it was going to be 500 miles. It was going to be 500 miles, right? So, you know, I I think it it had nothing to do with the green-white checkered or the same as NASCAR, I don't think. I think it was every attempt made to finish under green. Mm -hmm. Now, was that fair to do? Uh, I'm not certain there. You know, that's not 
that's not my call. Fortunately, that's mm. yeah. still not my right. call. It worked out for the better for for Joseph and for. I think Team he was Penske. very deserving of it. I thought he was a deserving winner. As fans, we enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Yeah, um, and I think yep. he earned it with the pass on the. Uh, down the back stretch. I mean, it was certainly uh, a compelling lap, man. I mean, yeah, that was some of the was. best exciting racing yeah. of the day. Yeah, I, and I think everybody was, was other than, who finished second? Marcus. Marcus Erickson. Erickson. Yeah, yeah I think everybody was happy uh, yeah. for him except for... <laughs> well, no, I tell you, and I think, honestly, you know, I think he would have had a shot at winning the thing still. Like, this is my take of it now, right? Mm-hmm. Me watching that race, if... And again, I'd have to say, I mean, I, it's probably obvious during this this episode, too, that, you know, for oval racing, I have the utmost respect for, for Hornish, I got to say. I mean, we, you know, I was together with him for, for many years. And, you know, the last lap passes that he did in these pack racing um, scenarios and everything else, he was, you know, he was quite edgy. I think if Marcus had the experience of Sam Horner Jr. in that mm, case, mm, mm-hmm. he would not have followed Joseph on the low line. As you guys were sitting there, you know, Joseph took a very, very low line coming off of turn four. Right. Mm-hmm. I think if that was Hornish, he would have stayed with them to apex, low line, then straight lined it out to and just mm-hmm. release the wheel, so to speak, and stop. Yeah, we thought the, they were going to the pits. Stop the scrub. So well, exactly. I mean, that, that's low. how low yeah. Joseph took him, and he stayed in the draft with him. Mm-hmm. As opposed to trying I to I was supposed him. to, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to, the I more think, natural line. when you get there right to apex, you just straight line it and just let go of the steering wheel and just unwind the thing. I, it, that, I think, I think that would... fascinating to I me. believe that would have been hmm. his better shot at winning it. So, I, I, you know, I think Joseph won that thing outright in that way uh-huh. it was a very strange call though but i mean again uh, you know if you're going to finish the thing under green it was they, they did what they had to do did. Yeah. To, yeah. To, to finish on the green and but I, I do you know i do think that marcus had a shot legit shot at repassing mm-hmm. joseph i really did yeah huh fascinating that's cool to hear just let just so what are your yeah, other two hear parts you describe that I, no, no that was just the question itself oh so here's what. So out of all the places that that you've been, what is your? And this would include early days in Sweden. What's your your favorite venue? If you could pick one that you had to go back to over and over again, what would it be? The Indy Five Hundred. Mm. It actually would be. Yeah, yeah. I think it's you know it's hard to describe race day morning when you're standing down on the on the grid right on race day morning there and. Uh, the crowd, the stands are full. I mean, I, I will say mm-hmm. the COVID year when we ran that thing in August, I tell you, I've never had an eerier feeling uh. actually with the grandstands absolutely empty. Mm-hmm. You got 33 cars on the front straight away. Mm-hmm. The anthem is being sung and it's a ghost town. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. like a nightmare to be quite honest. Any other year you're standing there, that is truly when you feel proud that you're in this sport and that mm-hmm. you're there and the patriotic feeling of all of this and you know yeah i might be from sweden but you know at that point you don't feel you can't feel much more american than that right <laughs> sure and well you've lived here more than half your life i have you know. yeah exactly and and i feel you know this is home there's no doubt i mean i'm i'm proud to live here and you know i'm i'm yeah you know but yeah the indianapolis 500 when you stand there race morning mm-hmm. and the anthem mm. starts singing and, and these people are standing up on their feet and then when the anthem is over the roar from from those mm. three hundred thousand people yeah. at the same time, yeah. and then you get, you know, a flyover, right? That is 
at times has been the stealth even coming over and that that gives me goosebumps like nothing else you just see this bad looking figure just casting yeah. a <laughs> casting a sh- shadow yeah. over the front straight away yeah. and you don't hear a thing until the thing is gone right and then you get the noise to come along right. with it. it it's just yeah. Yeah, that that's that's when you really know that okay, today is something special. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um out of all the drivers that you've that you've been around that you maybe you haven't been around, what's the if you can answer this question, maybe you give us a top 3. What is the most who's the best you've ever seen? Who's the best you've ever been around? Uh across across a series or that you, someone that you saw that you looked at, even though you're in the sport with a reverence with the that you were in awe of, is there a, a guy? Yeah, I mean, I you know I got to say I've worked with with some of the ones that I admire the most, and you know that that may also be due to that I've worked with them and and gotten to know them as mm-hmm. people, and it it's honestly even hard to pick a top three because they all have such a different characters that makes them the best of. Of that, I mentioned as an oval racer, I'd probably have to pick Sam Hornish Jr. Like as a, as an oval racer, mm-hmm. and one thing there, you know, he won so many races, championships. He ended up winning the Indianapolis 500 there in 2006, and thank goodness, right? He missed out on a few with blown engines and so on. But mm-hmm. you know, one thing that Sam told me at one point, and this, you know, when when he was so good at these pack races and that, he was trying to get so close that last closing laps the last two laps he used to loosen up his shoulder belt so he could prop himself up higher to see his nose in the front no kidding the other thing he did at that time was he put his left foot on the right on the throttle sounds kind of silly but he said you know this sounds artificial obviously i can't go any further down with the pedal than full throttle but he said if i ever thought about lifting you actually do have to think twice before you do so so wow. <laughs> he just kept it, his foot in it. It, it, wow. it prevented him from like just one of those. Exactly. Because, you, you know, if you look at curves and things like on a computer, the driver says, yeah, I was definitely flat there. And you can see one of those just There's br- just a it's breathe. Not, a yeah, feather. Exactly. Feathering. You're, you're flat, but your and brain tells you to not know. be, right? He, you know, they, a lot of times they probably don't even know so, that they've popped it. Yeah. So, so for yeah. oval racing that, you know, I would have to say, Sam, um, you know, the driver I never got to work with was Rick Mears. He had mm-hmm. he had retired mm-hmm. before, but mm-hmm. he's been around a lot since he retired. And he, he's been hanging yep. out around um, being with the team. Uh, mm-hmm. I've spoken a lot with Mears. And, you know, the guy's just something else to be around. That was my guy growing up. In the, the 80s, man? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He won, what, five? Four. Four or five. Four. It felt like Four. he won eight. Yeah. But he was just, yeah, that well, was the guy. That ran was, up front every time. Six yeah. poles. Yeah. That uh, Pennzoil car, yeah. I believe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just yeah. Iconic. He, iconic. He's just such a nice guy. Like, he is super nice. Like, anybody comes up and asks him a question, he's not going to, you know, tell you off. He's going to stand there and answer your question. You know, he was a consultant for the series in many years when it came to what they should do rules-wise and so on. And, you know, he has a lot of experience, right? So he, he's helped the sport a lot. Um, yeah, Rick Rick is definitely a hero of mine. And uh, yeah. anytime you get to sit down and talk with him as well, it's sure. one of those blessings that 
yeah. you know, it's like, you don't, you don't realize it now maybe because I've spoken to him enough to where, mm-hmm. you know, but one day again, when you sit down and think back at it and you're, you're like, yeah, that's mirrors. I know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's awesome. Uh, again, willpower from qualifying aspect. He's, mm-hmm. I mean, he's broken all the records when it comes to that too. And I will say that's, that's for sure the guy. And then, Again, a guy that isn't on Team Penske that you got to respect, or you know, at least in our IndyCar series, is, is Scott Dixon. I say Scott Dixon. <laughs> I mean, he's he's incredible, and I I got to say I I admire his way of finishing races, finishing mm-hmm. championships, winning all these championships. It's uh, it's quite impressive. He's got yeah. six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> and yeah. he's I mean he's no spring chicken anymore. I mean, and he's no. out there with these young kids and yeah. yeah. And it, it's kind of that, uh, I remember which announcer it used to, was it Daryl used to say, where did he come from? Like, you know, yeah. you saw me look up at the end of the day and he's in the top five. You're like, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. So, All right. Yeah. So these are three rapid fires and you can just answer them. Cause I'm, and I'm only asking them cause I don't know the answers and I, maybe our listeners don't either. Well, you, I two, may not. you two may not. Oh, I hope you know the answer. Cause if you <laughs> <I'm> don't, <hoping. laughs> um, so trivia with Matt Johnson, this is IndyCar. Uh, 101 with Matt so, Johnson. Okay. Yeah. 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 So in NASCAR, every year or so, every couple of years, they go to each track and they hold a tire test. Does that happen in IndyCar or is it the same tires run at the same tracks every week? Nope. You are correct. We, we do tire testing and uh, it typically happens uh, at Indy. We do it every year okay. uh, and it typically happens in, in um, October, I want to say. Okay. Um, after the season is over and the champion always participates in it and, and they test different compounds, different constructions okay. and so on. And that actually happens even on Rona street circuits. Every so often they change the rubber blend on purpose. Um, okay. they change the construction. We get all the information, um, but they do so to challenge themselves as well. Firestone for them, it's a game of trying to make a better product. Okay. Uh, at times we may argue that the product is too good, and may not cater so well to make it an entertaining race because the tires hang on for too long. I think we've done that in NASCAR a lot too. All right. Uh, Second question. Ryan Blaney wins the cup title for Team Penske. Any benefit to you guys on the IndyCar side? Like was there a little extra bonus? Was there a big party with steaks and champagne? <laughs> I tell you, we, we do a we do a happy hour uh for every win actually. Okay. Uh for the guys that, you know, in particular cuz um should I say when you when you're at the racetrack and and you win these races, right? You you get the hat dance, you get some pictures there and you you, you typically get you know, a moment there to celebrate. Whereas the guys at the shop, right. They, they also prepare these cars and right. work equally hard to, to get there. They, you know, might be beneficial enough to spend the weekend at home, but you know, other than that, they, they're part of the team, right. And they, they build this, they develop. So we have a happy hour actually at team Penske, every win we have. And obviously when it's a championship or, a, you know, Daytona 500 or a, a spe- you know, special win, to your point, then it's typically a little bit, <laughs> little uh, ra- little ratcheted up, yeah. a little okay. bit happier. It's every, and it's everybody, both sides. But yes, both, yes, that's oh, awesome. It's, that's it's great. Uh, cool. IMSA and everybody. It's a whole shop that's invited right office to to everything. Fantastic. Get to sit down, and it's you know, yeah, it, it's it's great. It's that's it's cool. a great way to celebrate and well, make sure culture. everybody feels appreciated, yeah. right, and included, and yeah, and all that. So that that's the benefit, I guess, we saw from that. Besides, I mean, you know, we're. 
I'm excited for it. Like, you know, sure. I don't get a chance to watch every race, but when I knew Ryan was in the hunt there, you know, you know, I wasn't going to miss that race for anything. And sure. I, I was tuning into his scanner a fair amount and they played some of it on the broadcast, but, but hearing, hearing the captain come on, cause Ryan was pretty agitated at some mm-hmm. points and, yeah. and Roger would come on and say, just calm him down, you know, just, just yep. hit that. All right. The boss is on the phone, you know, it's normally the nice and smooth, nice and smooth. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final question we talked about at the beginning of the interview, crew chiefs or car chiefs, engineers, strategists, everything that goes on to help an IndyCar team succeed in NASCAR. They have war rooms back at the shop. Do those, do you guys have those in IndyCar, or does everybody get to travel to the racetrack? We don't have war rooms, so to speak. Okay. We we don't have um, our staff is smaller than than a cup team would okay. be, um, just by the nature of it. Um, we still do have people at home that listen in and can uh, give their opinion on race strategies and so on. Okay, um, that we do have, but we. We don't have, I know exactly what you're talking about, the war room where, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have a whole panel that gotcha. we don't, but we typically have one extra engineer at home, um, you know, in front of a computer that can pull up stats that we also get to, to share. Do pipe, you guys have access in. to everybody's data like the Cup Series or is it all proprietary? You know, in the Cup Series, you can see every car's throttle, throttle trace, brake trace, corner speed, all that stuff. No, we can't. Okay. No, <laughs> no. Uh, I think start- that's kind of unique amongst motorsports. I think it is. It's it's starting to get shared a little bit more. Um, not not necessarily to to that level across the board there, but you know, well, you can see sort of trace what gear someone else is mm-hmm. running and so on, right? So yeah, there, there's there's sharing starting to happen more, and and also much like Cup is doing between the manuf not between the manufacturers. Amongst uh, amongst the right. manufacturer teams, mm-hmm. uh, they're starting to become a, a bigger pool of things you share. Uh, one last thing th- uh, to that point. In the Daytona 500, they always talk about, I don't care if a Ford wins. I don't care if a Penske wins, but a Ford better win. We, you, mm-hmm. Is it that mm-hmm. way in Indy 500 with just the two manufacturers? Like, I, if a Penske can't win, a Chevy better win. Like, is that the mindset or is it not quite as... It is not yet. Okay. It is not mm-hmm. yet. Uh, there's partnerships being uh, formed more so now between larger teams and smaller teams, seeing that more frequently. And I think Andretti actually more or less started that trend mm-hmm. in IndyCar. Uh, you'd seen it obviously in, on the cup side prior mm-hmm. to that, um, where it's starting to become a technology sharing between, you know, call it a smaller team and, and everybody can reap benefits of each other, so to speak. Right. I mean, everybody's got a... The two partners obviously have to gain something from the other one That's to, right. to make mm-hmm. that work. Um, so there, there's a lot more of that going on currently of these partnerships forming. Sure, sure. Well, that we've been here an hour and a half. Thank you for yeah, your this time. Has been this great. Is, we could probably yeah, sit here and talk fun. to you all night. Um, we'll have you back really on um, when, you, when you guys win. Or Either even, Indianapolis or the championship. Yeah, or even before, if you yeah, guys, whatever. if you just want to come back on and talk about anything exciting that's going on. Yeah, we're toying with going back to Indy this year because Michael over there is a big Larson fan. Um, that's cool. But yeah. uh, the yeah. only the only thing we didn't like about that experience because we'd never been. The I'd only like to thing hear we didn't like yeah, was the Roger. parking. 
the parking. Get, getting to the okay. parking. Getting was. to the parking. Yeah. The parking itself was any, fine. Yeah, but it getting, getting through and, Indianapolis. And I don't think it was anything Roger huh. had to do with him. It was the fact yeah. that there's state cops sitting there on the hoods of their cars just doing nothing. One mm-hmm. had a lounge chair out, like an old lawn chair, <laughs> sitting on the corner, just watching you the traffic. That? Wow. Yes. Yep. And I actually, I guess maybe I said something a little too loud. I wasn't <laughs> reading. I said, "Are you serious? Are you going to sit there on the side of the road on duty in a lawn chair?" And he got up and put it back in his car. In uniform. The guy's in uniform. And they're just, I don't even know what, I guess they're just there in yeah. case something. Once we got to the facility, gets, it was great. Absolutely, yes. yes. You guys parked on the inside? or, no, or we parked on out the outside. Around. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, we, we decided did. to go a little later, so there weren't as many. But we were way out on like the northeast corner. You way out in like fields. Neighborhoods. Way off turn four. Yeah. Yeah, if, okay. we, if we do it again next year, we're going to leave earlier. Um, or we're gonna chop her in. Or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll just come in with Roger. Oh yeah, that's right. We'll come in with Matt. That's yeah, right. Yeah. He probably, yeah. probably sleeps. Actually, we do get a police escort, but it's it's an early wake up call. It's about typically oh, yeah. four yeah. thirty in the morning. We we go in Ooh. there, but obviously we, you know, that's not just to get there for for avoiding traffic. That's also to get ready too. Because you, you should a put a bug day. in Roger's it's an early say, start. Hey, since you own the track, maybe you could take one of those condos and. Turn it into a sweep for us team guys. That's we can right. just be right there. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but it looks like they have a great time on. What is it? We thought it looked not that we've been to Talladega Boulevard. Oh, the, the infield, the the night, oh, the, the snake partying pit down before. There. Oh, yeah. the snake pit. Is that yeah. what it's called? Yeah, the they snake had a, pit. Yeah. They were having okay. concerts in the middle of the race. I was like, wow, that's. I, it must be quite a time. Oh, it's down there uh, at the yeah. campgrounds. Yes. Must be quite a time. It, historically, it has been. I feel uh, like yeah. I've aged out of having that kind of time. You know. <laughs> Well, yeah, as we probably should. Yeah, as yeah. we probably should. We're we're not twenty something anymore. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Um, we always kind of finish up with one question, um, and we ask everybody this question, and it's if you need to take a moment to think about it, uh, and it may be the same answer that you've given to some other questions. So you've got five minutes that you can spend with anyone that you want to spend it with, whether it's. They're, they've passed on. They're still with us. You've met them, not met them. Maybe in motorsports, maybe not. What's Who's that person that you, you if you got five minutes with anybody to have a, have a beer with, uh, share a meal with, just talk to for five minutes, who is that person? That's an interesting question. Yep. That's, uh, that's a hard one to answer. And I, I tell you, I mean, someone that is alive would be Roger Penske. I, w- I would do mm-hmm. that again, even though I've had numerous conversations with him. But uh, to have five minutes one-on-one, mm. um, I still think would be, uh, you know. Yeah. he's He's been such big part of my life and, you know, becoming who I am that I still think that that would still be interesting to get some feedback or opinion mm-hmm. on more or less asking him what do you think I should have done different or is there things hmm. I could have done different more or less get his feedback on my own situations yeah. uh, I guess mm-hmm. and, and so on I think that would be very interesting uh, if there was a driver it would probably be Ayrton Senna that mm. uh, that I would that would probably be that guy mm-hmm. yeah fair. yeah absolutely I'm That's not interesting. That guy was either one of those answers yeah I, I had just started I mean Formula One had just started being broadcast routinely back when in that time, what was that? Late eighties, early nineties. Dad, ninety three. Uh, I was ninety four. Ninety four. Yeah. And um, God, he could he could wheel a race car, man. He could yeah. wheel a race car. So that was a good era of, of F one too. There was a lot of it was him and Prost. Of, oh, Prost. back and forth. It's a lot of drama. 
<laughs> yes, there was. Yes, there was. Well, Matt, thank you so much. Yes. We'll uh, we'll let you go, and uh, we'll have you back very soon on on Blind Spotting. We wish you and Scott and the whole team good luck this year. And uh, again, thanks for coming on. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. He's going to try to slide this room here. Come on, baby. And Blaine's coming. 